hello everyone. Uh, thank you for joining uh, FINRA in the Cloud session. Uh, my name is Tigran Kremian. Um, I'm VP of Data Platforms at FINRA. I'm uh, very excited to return to reInvent this year and uh, talk about some of uh, our accomplishments. We recently completed our uh, migration, big data migration to the cloud, and um, I'm here to share some of the lessons learned in our journey. I'm also uh, very uh, excited that I'm co-presenting with Mark Ryland, who will be joining me. Uh, uh, Mark is a chief architect at AWS Worldwide Public Sector. Um, he and his team and the AWS account management team have been instrumental in our journey to the cloud. And Mark will talk about our partnership, FINRA and AWS, some of the best practices, how to engage their team in you know, getting the, the best leverage to AWS possible. So, um, and then after that, we'll open the session for a Q&A, all right? So, what to expect from the session? Uh, we'll talk about, I'll walk you through our journey, where we started, where we are, some of the benefits that uh, we, we are seeing in the cloud. How do we really do this with our staff? What technology skills we, we, we required? Some of the investment we've made, um, data management, the tools that we built to help us with the cloud migration. And um, by the way, we just did complete redesign of our uh, stack. It wasn't a lift and shift. So, um, and as part of that journey, we really saw some unexpected benefits that I'm here to talk about and to kind of share with you. Uh, Mark will talk about the, the partnership and evolution of the platform. FINRA brought a lot of use cases in terms of big data to AWS. And through that partnership, we enhanced those products uh, pretty well. Um, for those who are uh, in financial services, you probably know who FINRA is. For those who don't, FINRA stands for Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. Uh, it is non-governmental organization that is uh, responsible for uh, regulating brokerage firms and exchange markets. Essentially, in uh, simple terms, we're a regulator of the stock market. Uh, we oversee uh, 3,700 uh, 3, broker-dealers uh, and uh, about uh, 600,000 individual broker-dealers. These are individuals who trade securities in the United States. Our mission is uh, investor protection and market integrity. And um, as part of that mission, we process 75 billion events per day looking for uh, uh, you know, to help us monitor U.S. Uh, financial markets. And uh, our data footprint in AWS is about 20 petabytes of data, which we crunch through to uh, find patterns of market wrongdoings. So essentially, we look at the data for, um, you know, patterns that are suspicious, and we flag those things. Um, so the first thing we do when we receive data, we receive trading data from uh, exchanges. We receive data from 12 different exchanges, uh, from NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, BATS, and others. Um, 
We also receive uh, data from uh, brokerage firms. So these are Goldman Sachs of the world, Bank of America, Barrel Lynch's, and um, we receive equities, options, fixed income. So all that data comes to us uh, for us to stitch it together. Think about this. I mean, exchanges have a big data problem. Uh, broker dealers have a big data problem. But we deal with all of the exchanges and we deal with all of the broker dealers that send out the data. So what we do with that data, first thing we do, we really try to create this graph of market events. So let's say you're trying to put an order to uh, buy or sell a stock. What happens behind the scenes is pretty complicated. Algorithms run and they start uh, forwarding your orders through multiple exchanges, through multiple broker dealers. So when we receive all that data, we try to put together and it's a, actually, it becomes a graph, a graph of uh, trillion nodes and edges that we actually analyze to try to recreate the market. For example, we want to ask the question, what did the market look like yesterday? What did the market look a week ago? Even go back as far as two years to try to reconstruct the events that took place in the marketplace. So once we do that, the next step basically is to really analyze that data. We're looking for uh, you know, patterns of insider trading. Are people really trading uh, with non-public information? We look for layering, the cross-product manipulation. Are people moving from one exchange, you know, from one products, from equities to options, and trying to game the system? So we have extensive suite of libraries that we go through and um, where we look for market manipulation. Essentially, we're in a, this sea of data. Uh, it's a, like looking for a needle in a haystack because of the volumes we deal with. Um, we have to really start narrowing down and uh, looking for those patterns that are suspicious. So what are the challenges? Uh, markets are volatile. Stock markets are volatile. Uh, throughout uh, a year, we see spikes. Um, for example, election day. I mean, we see uh, two times the volume of the previous trading day, or an August of uh, August 24th of last year, where we had a mini crash of a thousand points. We had a drop in the market because of the China news. So that creates a volatility in, in terms of our data volumes. So we have to have a capacity to deal with those type of events. And historically, you know, our options were to, in a legacy environment, to either pre-build for that peak or to try to move data around to create space to let that extra volume to get in. Pretty challenging stuff. So. Another thing that happens, exchanges are evolving. They're creating new APIs for complicated algorithms. They're creating APIs for high-frequency traders who take advantage of those APIs and try to, you know, because latency is very important, because speed is very important for them, so they can try to really make pennies on the transactions, that leaves a big data footprint uh, that leaves a trail of data that we have to analyze. Um, also, regulatory landscape is changing. Regulation is creating new rules. 
and it was requiring people to submit more data, and um, that kind of increases our data volume. And market manipulate, manipulators innovate. I mean, when they see uh, regulators find when they, you know, they do bad things, they try to create new ways of taking advantage of the system. So we have to constantly change our algorithms and rerun those against the data that we have collected. So just to talk about comparison, where were we before and where are we now with our cloud migration? Um, a classical uh, kind of a tiered approach to our data architecture in our legacy environment where you have your first tier, six months of data, optimized for um, low latency, quick data access. So we were predominantly uh, appliance shop dealing with Natizas, Greenplums, uh, and we would have we had few of those appliances sitting in, in different tiers. The tier two is your uh, two years of data, not as fast as your first tier, but this is where you run your algorithms, you, you run your jobs to look for you know, market manipulation. Um, they're in batch mode, not a kind of interactive as your tier one. And tier three, everything above, you know, beyond two years, stored in a cheaper storage, Less frequently used, obviously, and for savings, for saving reasons. And you know, over time, um, you end up with different technologies. You end up with uh, relational databases. You end up with uh, storage. You end up with appliance. You end up with Hadoop was introduced at some point to solve our uh, storage problem. So pretty heterogeneous environment that has to deal with that volume of data. Okay. So what are the pain points, I mean, with that type of uh, setup, right? So first of all, it doesn't scale well as the volumes increase. Uh, say you have a surge in your data volume, what you need to do is, just, you know, you're, you're running out of space in your first tier, and you, you find out that you have some space in your tier two or tier three or your NAS. So your option there is to start moving that data, freeing up space, into a different storage so that you can load the volumes in. And we all know humans are not perfect, that's a manual activity, and that requires a lot of manual labor. And the second issue with this type of uh, the pain point is the duplication in the data management. Now you have your data sitting in different tiers, you have to um, worry about life cycle, you have to worry about retention, you have to worry about versioning and making sure that data is in sync between tiers. Challenges running analytics. I mean, you now you've fragmented your data. Let's say uh, our business is coming and saying we want to run your, your options database is in one, your equities in the second. How do we do cross market, cross product surveillance? Well, your choices there are you need to bring that data from different stores, put in something else, and run your analytics to see whether that would work, whether that produces any results or not. That's also manual and kind of time-consuming activity. And also costly system maintenance and upgrades. Um, these appliances are pretty expensive and, um, and takes time to maintain them and upgrade them and things like that. So in summary, the problems were 
our data is growing year over the year. Uh, we high cost for building for peak, which is really not practical for us because you have those events once or twice a year, so it really doesn't make sense for us to pre-build for the high volume. The appliances, they want you to buy the new ones, so their, their cost is going higher. And, you know, they're under the pressure with the open source technology, such as Hadoop and other search technologies that are really can do a much better job in terms of running multiple jobs and uh, scaling that uh, data volume. So we had a decision to make. We had to make a decision. Do we keep spending on infrastructure? Do we keep spending on people who have to deal with the data issues? Again, we're dealing with uh, data from multiple exchanges, multiple broker dealers. Uh, or do we redirect that dollars to the core business, which is really our analytics, which is financial regulation analytics? So we made a decision. Uh, the reason I'm here, obviously, is to go all in into AWS. Um, you, if you attended yesterday's keynote, our CIO, Steve Randage, talked about going all in. And this wasn't an easy thing for us to do. This wasn't a lift and shift. We actually rewrote our entire stack, uh, predominantly SQL-based, um, shop where it's running on different appliances into more cloud-friendly type of architecture, which I'm going to go next. So where is all my data, right? I mean, we had this fragmented data between multiple devices, between multiple stores in our legacy environment. Now all our data in one location is in S3. One location, we know that's our master data. Uh, the security, uh, the versioning, availability, high availability of that data, um, and cross-region data replication. It's important for us because for disaster recovery purposes, we had to copy our data to a different region. So actually, through our partnership with AWS, we met with S3 team and asked them if they could build that feature for us and they were really happy to help us out there. Now that feature was, is available as of last year, and I think what you can do is just flip a bit and your data will be automatically copied to a different region. So, and now what we're doing is we're taking advantage of uh, separation of compute and store, putting our data in S3, and now we're coming up with different compute, compute patterns, paradigms how to access the data. So in terms of how we access our data, we are using the best technologies out there to really take advantage of the use cases that we're trying to achieve. So I talked about market reconstruction. Essentially, that's a, you know, it's a graph problem, and we're using HBase for graph processing. We do heavy ETL processing, we take the data in, we validate the data, we normalize the data, we aggregate the data daily basis. So we use ETL, uh, we have Hive, we use uh, EMR for that. Targeted queries is basically a cluster with a bunch of analytical applications that allow our end users to come in through those applications and really start 
playing with the data and you know, asking questions. So for that, because we know what those queries are, we can optimize them and use technologies such as Redshift and others to be able to get to the, the data quickly. And, and then those results return under seconds, um, under five seconds, where before it would take minutes, even hours, to try to write, you know, again, store procedures and things like that. Batch analytics is also an EMR-based solution where we run all our surveillances uh, against the data that sits on S3. We pull the data, we run batch analytics on that, and we kick out alerts. BigQuery solution is uh, actually our um, Presto solution. allows you to do interactive query uh, at petabyte scale. Uh, we basically give people toads, uh, SQL uh, command line, and they're able to uh, query that data. We also recently introduced the machine learning. We had a session uh, a couple of days ago. Folks talked about it. We're giving our data scientists an environment to go and to start applying machine learning techniques and technologies against that data. So as you can see, we went from one big giant box or boxes where predominantly it was used for ingest and access you know, a lot of SQL. From SQL, we, we broke away from that pattern, stored our data separately in S3 in a very tightly controlled manner, and introduced multiple compute platforms to analyze that data. Just to go a little bit deep into the architecture, um, basically we have data coming in into the cloud and for legacy purposes, we also support data coming in into our data centers. As data comes in into, um, into, uh, into the cloud, the first tier is basically the ETL tier, which is responsible for data validation, data normalization, linkage. Basically what we do there, a lot of preparation of data. We use Amazon EMR for that. We use uh, AWS KMS, and uh, we encrypt all that data on the S3 and encrypt the data in transit. So when uh, clusters try to take the data from S3, all that communication and the, the wire is encrypted. The data management is the key component that sits in the middle. Basically, we spend time um, understanding that we're in a big data management space, and if we don't control, know what data we have, what versions we have, what lineage we have, where it came from, where is it being used, how is it gonna be accessed, then we would be back in the same problem where we had the on-premise of dealing with that data in multiple stores. So the data management is something that we wrote in-house, and uh, it's a custom app that uh, uh, we open sourced last year. We thought many people who are in a big, big data management space would have similar problems. We, so we actually open sourced it for others to take a look and see if they can leverage that. So the data, as it comes in, it gets registered. Uh, data management is responsible for cataloging, uh, for versioning. And most importantly, what it does is we use multiple store uh, clusters and multiple compute clusters 
And what it does is orchestrates the data between store and multiple compute clusters. What we don't want to do is basically fragment our data in the cloud into different stores and not know what we have uh, where. Uh, because you're going to deal with the same problem of if you want to update data in one location, you want to make sure that location gets updated too. Uh, and in terms of data analytics, uh, we saw from the last slide we have multiple technologies. Um, uh, again, there's a Presto, HBase, Hive, Redshift, EMR being used also as part of analytics, and our own machine learning um, package that we deploy for our data scientists to use. Just to give you guys an idea how much capacity we use, this is an example of a graph uh, from, um, from June 19th of this year. We fired up close to 30,000 EC2 nodes per, per day. So the 30,000 nodes are firing up to do all that processing, ingest, analytics, everything. That's pretty impressive. 93% of that is basically EMR-based, and we leverage heavily the spot pricing for that. We, we have 20 petabytes of data stored between S3 and Glacier. Those are the two stores we use predominantly. We've looked at others, but for our use cases, we decided to stick with S3 and Glacier. In terms of cost, right, where is our cost spent? We have 60% of our cost goes into the production. We have 25% goes into QC and UAT environment, and only 15% of, of the cost of us spending our dollars in Amazon is, it goes into the development environment. I mean, 30,000 nodes sounds uh, a lot, but the next point I want to make is pretty interesting. 50% of that, those nodes, they only live for under two hours. So basically, they leave, they, uh, they process, do, they do their jobs, and we just turn them off. 35% of those nodes, they go from between two and five hours, and only 15%, they run for more than five hours. So as you can see, we really use, uh, pay for what we use at that scale. Let's talk about information security. Um, when we started our journey going to the cloud about three years ago, there were a lot of skepticism about public cloud security. And we were talking to uh, our partners and everyone was hesitant. A lot of people were hesitant to, to go to the cloud uh, because of security reasons. Um, due to advancement in the security in a public uh, cloud over the last two years, we see a big shift where many companies don't think that's a problem anymore. In fact, many companies and experts now say that uh, cloud security is, 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 is better than your on-premise security. And we kind of agree with that statement uh, done right, if you do it right, if you design it right, your accounts, your, if you use KMS, if you use encryption, if you use everything according to the standards, we believe that public cloud security, uh, our data is more protected in the cloud than we could do it on-prem. Let me just walk you through some 
data points, what we do to achieve that greater security. So in terms of network security, in your you know, in traditional data center, you put a firewall in front of your web server, you put a firewall in front of your database, at very best you put a firewall between your you know, web server and app server, a classical like a three-tiered application, and you just stack your servers in those tiers, right? Challenge there is if your firewall is compromised, all the apps behind it will be compromised. In the cloud, all resources, they act like they have their own virtual private, uh, the virtual uh, firewall. So you have greater protection there and you can isolate it for a particular resource. I mentioned earlier that in the cloud, all non-public data is uh, encrypted. So we encrypt at rest using KMS and we encrypt in, uh, in flight. The way we do that, we use, again, key management service where FINRA owns and controls the keys. We also use AWS's IAM function and integrate that with our own AD, Active Directory. The se segregation of uh, duties that you know, AWS promises where a resource, an employee or somebody within, your, uh, uh, within the company can only do a few functions. They can start, stop server, but they cannot access data. So that fine-grained uh, segregation of uh, duties is very important. And uh, what we do is we map those to uh, our own authentication in our AD, and we sync them. We sync cloud uh, IAM with our FINRA AD, and actually Amazon trusts our AD as the source. The audit trail, if somebody does something with our resources, we're able to go back and audit whether they stop the instance, whether they access the data. We use Splunk to constantly monitor and uh, alert. Um, we also have a custom identity perimeter report. As you can imagine, if you have a lot of uh, permissions on, on the IAM side, on the AWS, and you have, you have to match those with your AD. If things go out of sync, you want to catch those. So we have uh, a report that constantly looks at, you know, both uh, st uh, matches those two together. If for some reason they don't match, it also creates an alert. And on top of all this, um, the security team is now part of um, our SDLC. So older tools, older scans uh, are part of SDLC as we're building our components, as we're building them. They're working with our DevOps team and that gives us a lot of repeatability. They, they scan as we build, const continuously scan. And repeatability gives quality and we feel like that's better security than what we used to do on-prem, which is security was an afterthought. Our security teams would come in and do the scans after you're in production, they find vulnerabilities, you go fix them, you change your code, they, they wake up you know, next month, they run it again, they find uh, issues, then development team has to fix those. Um, this is, AWS does a lot of uh, compliance certifications and um, 
Essentially, if you're operating in the cloud, you have to extend your trust to your cloud provider. And we're happy that uh, third-party companies, they go and validate, they perform this kind of checks, and that gives us an extra assurance that you know, things are being watched for, and there's actually third-party verification that does this on top of uh, what AWS does. So in terms of benefits, um, we see imp improved um, performance. So remember what I said about having a, a, a box that you'll do loads, you do analytics. Now we have multiple compute clusters, we have multiple storage clusters. They all are optimized now for high performance. So we see that our performance drop from minutes to seconds. Uh, we're able to expand and contract our uh, resources. We fire up up to 40,000 EC2 nodes daily and we bring them down when we don't really need to use them. So we really take advantage of pay-as-you-go model. So no more tech refreshes, no more patching, no more uh, scheduled downtimes. All those things kind of go away. Um, disaster recovery testing, and those who are in financial industry sector, they know about Reg SCI testing. These are once-a-year industry-wide testing where people have to do integration tests. What we do is we don't have a dedicated DR or Reg SCI environment anymore because during that test we can spin up our clusters, our data has been replicated, we perform the tests, and we bring that down when the test is over. So you really don't pay for dedicated DR environment. And, you know, what we talked about a minute ago about superior data protection compared to in-house solution, because everything is uh, encrypted and it's uh, at rest and in flight, we feel like that uh, we get better protection in the cloud than on-premise. And this is something that we didn't really bank on from when we started the program. Our program was all about performance and cost and re you know, making sure we can get our savings by going to the cloud and retiring the appliances, uh, which we did. But a nice surprise for us was that now we have a better data protection compared to what we had before. So now we can redirect, we don't have to do all these things, we can focus on redirecting our dollars, redirecting our focus on our core business. So there are other unexpected benefits I wanna share with you, and people usually don't think about this when they go to the cloud. Um, one of them is uh, we, no more, we no longer have the silo of data, no, no silos from the uh, different teams managing their data, different uh, storages, all your data is in one place. Think about it, it's in one place and it's cataloged. So you have faster data discovery, you can ask questions what data we have, where it came from, um, we're working on where is it being used, that's something that's a little bit challenging, but uh, it's a cool feature that we're actually working on now. Uh, and it gives you uh, new ways of exploring that data. Because it's, uh, it's accessible, now you can 
deploy different technologies. Think about machine learning. Think about you know um, different analytics tools that you can get your analyze your data. Another thing that we've seen is uh, innovation in the team. I mean, people really get excited when they work on um, very challenging yet very clear goals. You, you see the transformation of people in terms of they take more risk. There's, there's creativity there. Um, transformation of dev uh, from our traditional operations team to DevOps, and all they become part of the development kind of a team. So there's a lot of energy uh, that it kind of it creates, and we we were able to transform our culture as part of our journey. So people ask me, okay, so what kind of skill sets did you, how did you guys really do it? I mean, did you outsource it? Did you hire people? And the answer is we did it ourselves by, you know, partnering with uh, vendors, by uh, hiring new people, and actually training our staff. We, we never outsourced this to another company. Instead, we hired experts to work with us, embedded them into our uh, teams to work with us together. And when we looked for people, we looked for folks who can innovate, who can automate, uh, most importantly, who are curious, who are, um, who are not afraid to try new things. And that really helped us in terms of um, kind of creating that culture of innovation, moving away from rewriting your existing uh, software stack and writing kind of a new solutions in the cloud. And in startup world, we hear fail fast. In the cloud, if you're dealing with big data space, I would say fail fast, fail cheap, because if you really start uh, spinning up a lot of clusters, if you really start playing with all these technologies that are available, you can really run your bill. So you want to be careful in terms of uh, how much you want to spend and put some safeguards so that um, you, know, you don't run your bill high. So what are our future plans? Um, we are, we're, we're com we completed our phase one, which is our big data going to the cloud. Uh, we retired all the data, uh, the data appliances. We got uh, our savings. Now what we're focused on is uh, completing the rest of the portfolio, which is basically small data. Here we're talking about hundreds of uh, relational databases applications that are running. Um, these apps talk to each other via messaging, via workflows, via materialized views. The complexity is different. Where we had to deal with the big data problem, now we have to deal with a variety of different uh, integration points. And now we're working heavily with RDS team where, um, and, uh, to make sure that we migrate the rest of our portfolio by end of 2018, and in fact, at that point, we'll be able to get out of our data center operation. So, kind of key takeaways, if I were to say, you know, in those who are trying to engage in this journey, um, you know, there's, there, there are many reasons why you want to go to the cloud. I mean, you, your different companies have different problems to solve. I mean, I would, 
say, you know, when you focus on your business case uh, and you, you sell to your stakeholders, it's not just CIO and CEO who needs to kind of buy into it, but you want to make sure that your team believes in it. Because, you know, we're working with very smart people, and people really start asking the questions, well, why are we doing this? How is this going to be better? And these are really good questions, and you really want to kind of understand and sell it to your teams and let them be part of that journey. Security, security, security. You got to get that right, otherwise everything you do, you, your data gets compromised, you'll be in trouble, and then your entire journey is like, well, let's not do that, right? So you got to really focus on your account management, you got to focus on how you're you know, encrypting your data, and this is where um, Mark's team has been tremendous help to us in terms of giving us best practices, how to design your accounts, how to uh, ensure that your data is protected, how to segregate your data between environments, production, QC, um, you know, development. All those things are very important for you to pay attention from day one. And you know, focusing on your data strategy, that would be my next item that I would recommend people do because you can, you know, going to the cloud, taking your existing stuff and just going to the cloud will not really give you that much benefits. You might want to think about uh, how are you going to store your data, how are you going to access it, what are your really pain points, how do you want to leverage your data, how do you want to crunch through that data more efficiently and effectively, and, you know, in a, in a, folks who are in big data management space, you can have same problems on-prem with respect to your data management as in, in the cloud. So you have to think through in terms of how am I going to really manage my data in the cloud. Variable cost is, is a really new concept for us. Before, we would have a static cost your total cost of ownership is your labor, your servers, your comp ops, and now all of a sudden your bill varies every month. And you know, that kind of puts a lot of pressure on understanding, well, am I gonna just double my cost next month? Am I gonna burn all my budget first quarter? So you gotta think about put, putting some kind of safeguards in place so that you know you you you, you kind of watch for that. And with big data space and, uh, you know, because it's easy to do new things and to crunch the data, you might want to put some processes in place that require approvals. If it exceeds, let's say, $100, people have to get approvals to do their stuff. But at the same time, you don't want to kill the innovation, so you got to watch for that. Uh, we were successful in partnering with uh, with, with with our cloud and big data vendors you know, early on, and we, we used Cloudera to help us with our age-based uh, uh, solution early on in the project, and we partner, obviously, with uh, Mark's team and uh, account management, enterprise account management on AWS to help with our journey. So that has been a very valuable for us. And expect to you know, innovate and transform as you go to the cloud. So in summary, basically, our original promise was we can run in the cloud cheaper and we can run faster. That we've realized. What we didn't know that we could bank on was 
We got better data protection as part of going to the cloud. Uh, we really opened up our data. Now our data is available to the enterprise. It's available for our data scientists. Now we can start linking the data. We can start extracting meaning from that data. And uh, that's something that uh, we're working hard on. And um, also cloud has served as a catalyst for innovation. A lot of people innovate. We started creating hackathons. We started you know, creating that excitement in the staff. And uh, people are really, you know, that kind of, uh, they're more engaged than they used to be before. And finally, we're migrating the rest of our portfolio by end of 2018, and we're gonna shut down uh, basically our data center operations. So now uh, I'm gonna give Mark a chance to talk about, from his perspective, how things worked and, uh, you know, the great partnership we had. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Uh, we'll just take a few minutes here at the end. Um, of course, we love to have customers tell their stories. That's the most important thing. But we felt like this was an opportunity to talk a little bit about how we engage with important customers like FINRA and how beneficial it is to us to have customers who are really pushing the envelope and really doing great things with their cloud, uh, cloud migrations. So just to give you a little bit of understanding of what happens when a big customer makes a big commitment and we get very engaged, I want to talk a little bit about what's happening on the Amazon side of the equation. First of all, we have an account team. I hope many of you have uh, sales executives and solutions architects that are already working with you. Um, and that team is, is really critical. And again, we made a big commit. They made a big commitment to us. We made a big commitment to them. Um, with deep engagement around um, proof of concepts. You know, we actually were running some proof of concepts in our uh, SA accounts to prove out certain opportunities and possibilities. Um, we got very involved with professional services early on as well so that we could, you know, sort of like SA for hire, right? We can just give you someone full time to help you in, in early designs and prototypes. So when, when all is said and done and we're deeply engaged, we have a whole number of roles within our organization that are, that are working closely with an important customer like Finder. We have account management, solutions architecture, the technical account managers who represent the support organization and provide uh, very hands-on, very customized uh, technical support. We even built a new role that was kind of piloted within FINRA with something we call a technical delivery manager. And this is a really a coordination function because when you have a number of parts of our organization partnering closely with a customer, um, you really want to have one person that kind of knows what's going on across the board and that, that TDM is, is, is that sort of program manager, traffic cop, and general coordinator of that critical function. Um, and that's been extremely, extremely useful. In fact, I think Valerie might be here. Um, there she is, the TDM for FINRA. Um, professional services, I already mentioned, so we've had a number of engagements with our professional service teams. Um, one in particular I'll go a little bit deeper on in a moment. Um, and then, of course, very deep engagement from our engineering team. So we actually, in this case, we had one of our uh, vice presidents um, of the EC2 team, became an executive sponsor. We had regular periodic phone calls, just so that as this engagement grew and as the challenges um, we encountered as we met those, we had a, an executive based in Seattle who was very, uh, very involved and knew what was going on and could really champion the things that we needed to have champion. Um, the best thing about a great customer like FINRA is you get these fantastic requirements. Nothing's perfect. Our platform has millions of things that could be improved. 
And those improvements come when customers bring us hard challenges and we can be very concrete and say, this is what, this is what we need to do to improve the platform. And, and I'll give you a few examples, but there's been countless examples of what's resulted from uh, this partnership. One great example, maybe some of you have suffered from this, if you use federated identity and you're using the AWS console, guess what? The federation tokens last a maximum of 60 minutes and you get logged out. Um, you know, that's not a big deal, but over the course of a day at work day, it can be a little frustrating. Um, there was a technical reason for that. It's because, uh, well, if, uh, suppose one of these tokens was, was somehow uh, stolen. Um, you could shut down access by changing the privileges of the token, but then that would potentially interrupt the work of a bunch of people who are using that role and assumed role. Um, so, so the, the reason there was that original restriction was essentially a safety reason, since these are, you know, sort of the equivalent of bearer tokens and they're potentially shared by multiple users. Um, but that answer wasn't good enough for a good customer who said, so what? Figure it out. There's got to be a way to do this, right? So you may have noticed a few months ago we provided a, a new model where you can have longer lived console authentication and yet there's still a safety valve, namely that at any given moment, if you need to, you can essentially say, hey, re-authenticate everybody using this role. So there's a way to actually cause a re-authentication event in the case where you're concerned about any type of leakage of authentication material. So we kind of, we bridge that gap, it's a great example. Um, Cross-region replication, when FINRA began working closely with us, was, we didn't have this feature. We thought about it, you know, we'd done some, some work in this area, but it hadn't taken a real high priority. And it was a very high priority for them and several other customers. So this became something that really moved up to the top of the stack and we were able to deliver that feature um, which has been something that they've taken significant advantage of. And after that, further enhancements, such as the ability to have cross-region replication with encryption and so forth. Database migration service, Finder's been an awesome partner in kind of hammering on that service, you know, from the moment it's released, um, giving us tons of good feedback, helping us with improvements. Um, and there's been a bunch of other things as well. Um, especially in the identity access management. I, it's kind of an area of specialty for me. I'm kind of a IAM geek and, uh, I would say of all the customers I work with, FINRA is one of the most sophisticated users of that service with very, uh, uh, you know, lots of careful management of policies, complicated policies, lots of needs they have and features they've requested. And there's some that I can't even talk about yet. Um, talk to your SA or under non-disclosure. Uh, but you'll see a number of improvements in IAM service that, again, result from customers that are really pushing hard on the envelope of these uh, very powerful, sophisticated service, but one that... Um, you know, we can make easier to use and yet even more powerful. So lots of cool things happening there. Um, one thing I really want to dive a little bit more on, just kind of in closing, is um, one of the things that uh, FINRA brought to the table when we first began working with them was um, some applications using, using, using Hive um, and HBase that were particularly uh, challenging in the case of an ephemeral cluster. So an ideal use case for a cloud platform is your data is stored in S3, spin up a cluster, utilize it, you know, for when you need to, shut down your cluster. The data is, in other, in other words, is not stored inside the cluster, or at least not as on a permanent basis. But they had a couple of really important applications that essentially performance was requiring that they keep a standing cluster, 724, running a pretty large cluster with D2 instances, which are, you know, relatively expensive instances. They have a lot of local storage. And so the challenge for us was, you know, we were telling, hey, this ephemeral cluster thing, this is really great, you should use that model. And like, yeah, that's all well and good, but when we try it, we don't get the performance we need. So, you know, try again. Um, so we really went deep on this issue, identified some improvements we could make to the S3 
file system drivers deep within the um, the HDFS and S3, the, the pluggable file system that you find in, in a Hadoop um, system, and uh, enable that S3 driver to do a lot of much smarter things. So basically, really optimizing the performance of, of the cluster when talking directly to S3. And we were able to get that, make big improvements in that performance to the point where the ephemeral clusters, the ones you bring up and down, became plausible and actually quite good performance. Um, so that enabled them to move off the standing cluster, which is more expensive and is more difficult from the perspective of something like a DR event because, you know, it, God forbid something happens that AZ is not available, you know, it takes a while to move that data to, you know, bring it up from a backup on a, in another availability zone, what have you, where when you're talking to S3, S3 is taking care of that high availability across the entire region, and so clusters can come and go and it doesn't really matter from a data perspective. So that was a big improvement to cost um, and architecture and reliability, and it was all driven by a customer that said, hey, you're not good enough in this area, and we were able to, to make the an engineering enhancements to really drive that. And actually, it was an unusual case where our professional services developers was uh, you know so, so deep and so skillful that he actually made some of these code changes, which then went back into the, the EMR code base, and eventually some of that went into the, the open source code base as well for S3. So that's um, an example of how when we develop these great relationships with, with great customers and they're making some big commitments to Amazon, we can make big, big commitments as well and we can together work on improving the platform and making everything better for everyone to benefit from because all of these changes, of course, benefit the entire platform. That's one of the great things about cloud is that there's no special version of that just for a certain important customer, but the important customers drive these great improvements, which then are democratized across every single customer. So a little mom and pop shop using that S3 driver is now benefiting from the performance improvements that were made for an important customer like Venra. So thank you very much for your time, and I think we have a little bit of time for Q&A, so you're welcome to come up and come on back on stage. <clears throat>